Hello and welcome to the Networking Lab. I'm your host, Jamie Stewart from Circle Networks. Are you ready to scale your business in order to earn more and work less? In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with real business owners to reveal what's working for them to help you leverage time and your network to improve your life and business. Hello and welcome. This is episode six of the Networking Lab, and I'm joined by Catherine Hyde, who's a lawyer with her own practice called Hooper Hyde. Welcome, mm. Catherine. Thank you for having me, Jamie. I'm really excited about this. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, secretly, I'm thinking, I've got an hour of a lawyer's time without having to pay a bill. <laughs> you don't get any advice, though, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we've, we've, let me just explain how we've come to know each other. So if I think back, I, so as part of Circle Networks, I connect with people on LinkedIn from time to time. And, and I thought to myself, we don't have any lawyers. And I think you'd commented on something that I'd almost, I'd commented on as well on someone's LinkedIn post. We connected as a result of it. And then I sent you a couple of invitations to come along to Circle Networks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we had some mutual connections at that point Mm. as well. Um, and then you subsequently got involved and joined. Yeah, so, um, I have. I, and and I, I've been really enjoyed getting to know you over the last few months because mm. I think that you're disrupting the legal space. I'm no expert about the legal space, mm. but yeah. I have dealt with lawyers before, either in-house lawyers or mm. external people. And what I love about you is that you're quite down to earth. I don't mm. feel like I'm speaking to a lawyer when I'm speaking to you. Yeah, I'm a bit sweary. Like I just, <laughs> I just talk like a normal human being, right? And some people love that. Some people hate it. Like some people are, they don't want their lawyers to be like them. They want yeah. something else from their lawyer. But there are lots of people that actually just want someone who's like them. And you know, at the end of the day, it's just a job. It's just a job that we are doing. I have a particular skill set that someone else doesn't, but someone else has a skill set I don't, right? So, you know. So what kind of lawyer are you? Because there's a, there's a number of different kinds out there. As in what yeah, area so, do you cover? Right, okay. So I mainly specialise in dispute resolution for businesses. So that can look like anything from directors falling out, shareholder disputes, um, breaches of contract, supply chain issues, debt recovery, kind of any sort of dispute that you might come across when you're running your business. But I kind of my sweet spot for me is what I would call early stage intervention. So not letting it get to the point where it's absolutely exploded and then you need me. Actually, let's get ahead of this problem and resolve it first. Now, that doesn't mean I don't help with stuff where the SH on tears hit the fan, but actually I would much rather client came to me when they it was starting to niggle and a little bit like, oh, I feel like this might turn into something bigger because we can either make some changes or make some decisions that will stop that from happening or decide you know something very different had you come to me at the earlier stage as to as opposed to you know waiting until it's really kicked off and now you know the bill is 20 times bigger and your stress levels are 20 times higher and you know it's all just a huge hideous beast that you're having to now deal with right so yeah so disputes is my field of expertise but the business also does commercial work. So we draft terms and conditions. We can do share purchase agreements and, you know, buying and selling of businesses. We can advise clients on employment issues. 
um, you know, pretty much we can cover any area of law that a business might come across during its life cycle. Okay, I like that. Yeah. So what might someone come to you for early on to prevent having any issues? So in terms of the dispute stuff, it's often things like, oh, my co-director has stopped working as hard in the business as they were. They don't turn up much anymore. The relationship has started to become a little bit strained, um, but hasn't yet kind of really the problem hasn't fully compounded into they've completely fallen out. The communication has broken down. It's just awful. I have dealt with things like that in the past where it's just, just, you know, nothing is moving. No one's talking to each other. Everyone's got their own agenda and, and, you know, the business is really teetering on the edge of failing because of it. Um, but it will be also things like, you know, clients have been trying to recover an, an unpaid invoice for months on end and is getting nowhere. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes actually that's, again, just about communication. It's actually they're not talking to the right person on the other side or they're not saying the right things or, you know, their frustration level is so high that they're not able to see a different route to fixing stuff. So I'll often just pick up the phone to the other side and be like, can we just have a conversation about why this isn't getting paid? Because there's obviously a reason you're not paying it. And is it, is it, what reason is that, you know, can we come to some kind of arrangement? So it's sometimes just an external person stepping in to help is all that's needed. Um, you know, but really it's sort of anything that is starting to niggle, you know, I don't know, maybe a supply they've heard on the grapevine that a supplier might be having some issues financially and they just want to see if there's anything they should be doing. I have clients come to me who want to make strategic decisions about their business and they've got an agreement and they want me to tell them what the risks are of making that decision. You know, so I had someone come to me recently. He's got a franchise. He wants to take some of the business outside the franchise, albeit that business isn't doesn't really sit in front inside the franchise model, but he he has been doing it through the franchise and wants to take it outside and wants to know what the risks are of doing that. You know, what is the franchise all potentially going to do to him and his business if he makes that decision? What are those risks? So it's very much about kind of strategic partner level, really. You know, what decision do I want to make and what are the risks of that? What's the fallout potentially and how risk averse am I in making that decision? I've I've worked in a large PLC before where we had in-house lawyer yeah and i would think nothing of sending an email or ringing up and asking a question just to get that peace of mind that we were doing the right stuff yeah and i, think can I just when, get of email yeah. right yeah. yeah um or can you interpret this document for me what does it mean uh, before yeah. i sign it um yeah. and it just gives you peace of mind but mm. because the cost's already covered as in it's someone's wages there's no additional cost we're just making right. use of the resources um yeah. as a business owner to go out and employ a lawyer full-time is prohibitive for most people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the option is that they just sporadically use a law firm to ask a question. Yeah. One, and then wonder the what they'll might be at the end of it, yeah. right? I think that's the and, biggest and, thing. And, yeah. And, and that's one – you're right. That is the biggest thing. Well, I can't pick up the phone and ask a question because I don't know how big the bill's going to be at the end yeah. of it. Yeah. One of the things that I like about – you is where you talk about well i generally do stuff on a fixed fee basis so you'll yeah. 
work out how much it's going to cost to do something. So just talk me through how you would work with somebody. If somebody came to you with a, right, I've got this problem, what's it going to cost me? Does the, the meter start running as soon as you pick up the phone? No. So I will always have, it generally works out at least two conversations with the client. And I can't necessarily give direct advice. So let me give you an example. A client makes an inquiry with me. Hey, I've got this problem. You know, this person owes me money and they're not, you know, my company loaned them some money. They're refusing to pay it back. I'll have a conversation with them, right? What are, the, what are your options? Give me some background. You know, what is it that's happened? What do I think on a higher level in terms of what can be done here? Then nine times out of 10, I'll need them to send me some documents. You know, what have you got that evidences this so-called loan? You know, have you got bank statements? Have you got anything in writing in relation to the terms of the loan? You know, can you send those over to me? I'll have a really quick read through those. Again, there's no charge for that. And then go back to them again and say, right, this is what I can help you with. This is what I think we should do. And this is the cost to get you from A to B. Um, and then if we get you to B and the outcome isn't what we want, then we then take the next step, which is you know B to C. And that's how much that costs. It is rare that I will ever send a client a bill that they weren't expecting. And I can only think of one instance that that has happened where we had to move so quickly on something I didn't get the opportunity to think through what that bill might be because it was literally, we have 24 hours to get an application done. I've just got to get started and we'll figure out the costs afterwards, right? But otherwise, I can't think ever think of a time. And and it sort of swings both ways, right? Because if the client, the client will never quibble over the bill because I'm always saying, this is how much it's going to cost. And they always get an invoice for that amount. And if it changes because the scope changes, then you have that conversation. Well, you've made some different decisions that has meant that there's been extra work to be done. So now my fee is going to be slightly more because of that. Or I just factor it into the charge that I've already placed, right? So I do free consultations and I will obviously do free quotes because a client, I need enough information to be able to tell the client how much something's going to cost and they need to be able to make that decision. So it's only after that that they will then become a client. Once they say, yes, I'm happy with that with that proposal and that cost, let's open a file. So I can't give direct advice on something. Like I couldn't say like, you know, well, I, I can't think of an example, but I can give kind of high level strategic advice, but because they're not clients. So in theory, they can't then rely on the advice that they've had, you know, in terms of suing me because they're not a client. So, so it's much better to be able to then dig into the actual advice once they're signed up. But yeah, I mean, quite often someone will get at least an hour of my time for free before anything even starts. But I mean, I, I time record because it helps me to ensure that I am setting my fee at the right level. But I don't, I, you know, and I might sometimes send a client a breakdown of the time to reflect the fixed fee that they have had so they can see what's been done. Because I think sometimes clients find it hard to equate the cost to the outcome because you don't have a tangible product at the end of it necessarily. You know, like it's not like a carpenter who built a cupboard. You can see the cupboard and you use the cupboard, you know, or a yeah. website. It's not the same thing. So sometimes I will send a breakdown just so they can see what the time's been spent on, albeit they're not paying directly for the time spent. Because I prefer to price on outcomes, right? I prefer to say uh, to a client, you're paying for this outcome, not you're paying for my time. Yes. P and people love that. 
it gives them mm. peace of mind because they can budget mm. for it and plan for it. They might not necessarily like it if they're reacting to something, but at least they know what it's going to cost and it's not like a fear. And I would imagine some people do with law firms. I don't want to speak to them again because I know that that's going to cost me even more. And the more questions I ask, the longer it's going yeah. to take. Yeah. Um, so it's that peace of mind um, working with people like that. And it avoid, avoids any bill shock. Um, right. yeah, the, other, the other option, I guess, is you work with people on a returner basis. Yeah. So so, so I have clients who are on a subscription, I suppose is the best way of putting it. Yeah. So they, they pay me a set amount every month and they will get a certain amount of access from me from, you know, sort of high level, what I would call high level triage almost. So like the initial advice bit, someone at the end of the phone to pick up the phone to and say, what do you think of this? What I've, you know, do I need you for this or can I do it myself? Kind of conversations, you know, helping them with protecting their business from a strategic level, I suppose, right the way through to clients who pay me a lot more, but get more access and, you know, they will get document reviews and drafting and, you know, much more sort of, um, what's the word, sort of direct access to me as and when yeah. they need it. Um, so, yeah, so it's not, there's no one size fits all really, because it depends on the client, depends on the need. And also I like to be flexible so a client might want something one way for a few months and then say, well, actually, we don't need you as much for the next few months, so can we reduce it? Likewise, actually, we need more from you. Can we can we have a bit more? You know, can we change the package? Because people's needs change, right? So, And I think getting to know you, I've heard about how you work with people. So um, there's a lot of jargon within the legal world mm. which baffles us mere mortals mm. and mm. one of the things that that you've explained to me recently is how you might have to put something in writing for people yeah but then you'll record a video and send them an explanation of what it means in simple speak yeah yeah sort of like a summary I suppose so because my regulator and my insurer will require me to have very clear records of everything that I have said and done, then I have to do those, you know, four page emails that sets it out. But let's be honest, if I got a four page email, I probably wouldn't read it that carefully. 99% of people probably do the same, right? So I like to just either summarize it. So, you know, so kind of look, this is the executive summary of what I'm saying. And but this is the detail that follows on from it and this is the thought process behind what I'm saying to you and this is the you know reference to the documents that you've sent to me that you know will help you understand where my thoughts have gone or I would like you said I'll do a video which people love because you know it's so much easier to absorb information from speaking than it is reading for most people some people love reading you know but for a lot of people actually the video is so much more easy to absorb and just to keep, I mean, I've I've done one for a client recently and I because I can see how many times they've watched it and they've watched it like seven times now. So they're obviously getting a lot from, you know, seeing that as opposed to reading Definitely. it. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one of the, so I, when I introduced you, I, I describe you as, as a, a bit disruptive. And that's one of the ways I think that you're using technology to modernize mm -hmm. what you're doing and communicate mm -hmm. with your clients in a way that they feel comfortable with. So yeah. I would much rather that you record me something, an explanation of something in English. Yeah, it's, we need the peace of mind for on the document, but I just want the simple, can I do it or not? What, what yeah. does this actually mean? And 
and yeah. to condense it and summarize it in that way just saves people time yeah and it means um, they can keep re-listening to it you know it's it's just an easier way to absorb information and we're all everything's so fast-paced now right if you want something you want the answer to it straight away i i don't want to spend an hour reading something realistically can i do it or not and if i do what are the risks that's essentially what most of the questions are that i get asked you know so a quick one minute video of yes you can but xyz let's talk about it in more detail makes so much more sense to people you know i use i use whatsapp voice notes i use whatsapp videos you know it all has to go on the file but you know it's, it's easier for me right it's so much quicker for me to just be able to record a quick voice note than it is to type out an email probably reread it three or four times and you know and then send it 20 minutes as opposed to two minutes of doing a quick voice note that I'm probably not going to delete and re-record. <laughs> yeah. It's all about efficiency, right? And that's what I think. It's like, why are we messing about with super long letters that no one wants to receive? Yeah. And so, so I would imagine people come to you. There are times when they have to, but they come to you for peace of mind. They want to mm -hmm. ask you a question or you to review something so that they know that they're doing the right thing. Can I do this? Yeah. What should I do? Yeah. If you give them that in, in the right format, it saves them time. They can make faster decisions mm -hmm. and they can sleep better at night. Yeah. I think that's What's what not to love about that, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, as a business owner, I think one of the biggest challenges is time. We don't mm -hmm. have, we can't invent more time. We have a fixed amount mm -hmm. of time that we have. So mm -hmm. if you can, save people time in that way and speed up decision making i think because we we do procrastinate and put things off and the bigger the decisions sometimes the more we procrastinate over it so yeah. so you can speed up things a lot of ways for people yeah. as well as that i i rightly or wrongly hadn't thought about this until you mentioned it but things like terms and conditions mm -hmm. um there's a, so what are all the different things that you do without thinking about but you offer people in business. Gosh. I know. That's hard. Right. So, so the, the simple things that people kind of, well, I would assume that you've got this and this and this in place, but you might not have. Yeah. So it's often things like their privacy policy, you know, so there's a lot of confusion around privacy policies because obviously you need one for your website because if you're collecting data on there <clears throat> and i think the i think the name privacy policy is a little bit misleading because actually it's around data so it's what do i say i am doing with people's data on my website but then you also need a different privacy policy perhaps for your internal stuff because it's like okay that's what i'm doing with it on the website if you fill in your details but if someone is a customer or a client, what are you doing with that information internally? You know, most people will have a privacy policy on the website, but won't realize that actually they probably need a separate one to cover what they're doing with data internally in the business. You know, um, terms and conditions is a big one. Lots of people are like, yeah, I don't really have them and it's fine. And then either something will go wrong and they'll realize they should have had them or They've probably got had a, had an inquiry the other day because he suddenly got a really big um, contract and for work and he was like I actually I feel like now is the time to get this in place because he said if we continue to get these big jobs in I want to know that we're protected or at least we have mechanisms in place if something does go wrong um, 
you know, so it's things like that. I think everyone, and, and I'm sure even legal business owners do it. You know, we all kind of get so excited about getting new clients and doing the work and not actually dealing with the basics. You know, things like having having a template employment contract ready for when you want to employ someone, having a debt recovery, you know, unpaid invoice letter. So right, let me just stop you then. So, so mm. some people might think, I can just download one off the internet. Yeah. What's the risk? And you can. That? You can. Yeah. But is it right? Have you remembered to include unpaid invoices, uh, unpaid interest, sorry? You know, have you made sure that actually the invoice is due? Are there any other costs that you might be able to recover? You know, somebody came to me the other day and he had an unpaid invoice. I think it was like 60,000 and he'd been chasing it. But I was like, but you haven't added any interest. You can also get recovery costs and reasonable costs for actually having to um, chase the invoice. So the invoice, the amount that was due was another 10K more because, and he didn't realize, you know, so is there, you, you can chase your own debt, right? I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm some like magician who can do things you can't. There's always a risk that if you downloaded something off the internet, it's either out of date, you know, the law is, the law has changed, you know, or actually it's perhaps you've missed something fundamental. The courts are a little bit more lenient with what's called litigants in person. So people who represent themselves. So if you have missed something, often the court will, you know, sort of say, well, look, you know, you wouldn't have known any differently. Um, and I, I very much sit in the camp of if a client can do it themselves, they should do it themselves. And if it's a case of me saying to them, you could actually do that letter yourself, I'll send you a template. I'll do it because I'm not going to take money off someone for something that actually they could chase easily themselves. Quite often it will be, look, go and chase it yourself, go and do X, Y, Z first. And then if you're still struggling, then come back to me and I'll get involved because why, you know, I'm just not the kind of person to just take money off people for the sake of taking off them. If I think actually there's a way for them to self-serve. I think that's one of the things that sets you apart from other people. Mm. Um, so we were on a call recently and I described you as a boutique law firm. So rather, I'm trying to think of the opposite name for a large firm. How would yeah. you describe a large law firm? You probably just call it a large law firm, to be honest with you. Okay. So, so you versus, so if I'm, yeah, yeah. Um, so a well-established, perhaps a national brand name that someone mm. might know. Going mm. to them for advice versus going to you, I think that one you're going to offer great value for money and that sometimes people pay a premium for a brand name mm. but or a well-known name but perhaps isn't getting the right the advice that's right for them this is my opinion um whereas if i come to you you're going to distill it into a format that helps me understand it and you, you are very commercial as well in in yeah. the way that you operate i think i think that's I what think sets it's... you up I think it's often also about experience. So it's not necessarily about the advice or the quality of the advice, but it's how that client has been made to feel during their interaction with their lawyer. So, you know, for example, I had someone come to me a couple of days ago saying, I really need to get this done quickly. My previous lawyer is being really slow. They're not getting in touch with me. And we've turned it around in 24 hours, right? And it had taken weeks for the other law firm. And that's, you know, that's just the nature of being smaller and being more agile. I'm able to go, well, actually I can drop something or I can push something to one side and I can get it dealt with for you. You know, I can 
open my own files and get the engagement letter to you within 20 minutes, you know, and all that happens. Whereas these large firms, they have so many systems and processes in place. It's like, oh, well, I've got to put in a, a file request to this team so that they can open the file. And then we, you know, and it just slows everything down. And that's really frustrating. Also at the large law firms, and again, this isn't a criticism because some people like how this is, you might speak to a partner, but then it's not the partner that does the work. It will be either an associate or a junior, maybe even a paralegal with a partner signing it off. Now, again, that's sometimes fine for some people, but actually other people, they want that human relationship. They want that connection. They want to know that I have ultimate responsibility for that work and you get me on the phone and you get me on email and that's the experience that you have is with me, not a bit with me, but mostly with someone else who you never actually speak to. It's, it's all about the customer experience for me as far as I'm concerned. I'm constantly trying to improve the experience right from engagement through to you know when the matter finishes because that's the thing you'll remember, right? You won't remember the application I drafted for the, a specific court order. You know, you'll remember how I made you feel during the process of us interacting with each other. And that's it, because that's how it works. We're human beings at the end of the day. And lawyers have this um, reputation for not being. And there's there's a, a large proportion of really great lawyers out there. But for some reason, we've been trained to almost be a bit robotic and lacking in any human emotion. And it's strange. But yeah, it's all about the customer experience for me. And I think, unfortunately, for the large firms, they struggle with that because they're so big and it's like this big clunky machine that doesn't work particularly well together. And I've always enjoyed dealing with smaller organizations that Mm -hmm. are leaner and more agile for that very reason, because I don't, I want to be important to the people that I'm dealing with. And if the larger the firm, the less important we become, I think. Yeah. hundred percent. So just on the retainer part, if there's a business owner listening to this, where do, where does the scale start and end for paying you on retainer? I mean, to be honest, it's whatever the client needs, quite frankly, because you can't, you know, it, it can be, well, you could buy, you know, an hour of my time, a couple of hundred quid a month, you know, taken in two half hour chunks, if that is what is helpful versus, you know, a much larger retainer because actually you know that your needs are greater and you need some document drafting from me or, you know, much more in-depth review of things or, you know, you have started to want to make some restructuring decisions around the business and do you need some advice around that? So to be honest, it's, you know, from the smallest right the way through to the largest need that we could service because obviously I wouldn't want to kind of over-promise and under-deliver. So, it's very much a case of, right, come to me and we'll have a conversation. You know, we've got a client who's on a couple of thousand pounds retainer. We've got one who's on five thousand pounds retainer. We don't yet have any that are on a small amount, but that's not to say we wouldn't do that because ultimately if that's the need, you know, I want half an hour of your time four times a month, then you can have that, right? As long as we have the resource to to service that for clients, then we will offer it because so it can, I would rather it can grow as a bit. It can grow as the business grows. Yeah, absolutely. Or shrink as the, you know, if the need, because there'll be clients that, you know, perhaps they need it now. In two, three years' time, they might grow to a point where actually they have in-house counsel, for example, and then they don't need external counsel as much as they used to. You know, so it's it, it's whatever the client needs at the point of the life cycle that they're in. 
because you know you can't you can't necessarily know how much time you're going to need in six months versus now okay. so one 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 more thing that might set you apart from other lawyers you're a business owner yeah rather than an employee yeah i think it's a big thing right yeah you can't underestimate that you you are walking the same shoes as the rest of us and know what it's like that you know i'm the one that turns the lights on in the morning and switches them off at the end of the day and i've got to make sure that all the invoices are done and collected um that the systems work and everything else in addition to dealing with clients yeah and guess what i've made mistakes i've made really bad decisions over the past 15 months that in hindsight, I was like, well, I probably wouldn't have made the same one had I had a different set of information available to me at the time. But, you know, you live by the decisions that you make. And I'm a human being. And and I, one of the things that I have noticed about being a business owner and a lawyer is they're two very different things. And the way that I think as a business owner is completely different to the way that I think as a lawyer. But actually, they complement each other, right? Because like you've said, yes, I'm I'm experiencing this from the same side that my clients are so i know how it feels when you get a shitty letter from someone that's accusing you of something i know what it feels like to go oh that was a really bad decision i shouldn't have done it you know you know would have made a different decision about that i know how that feels because i'm experiencing it myself so it makes me i think a better lawyer and it makes me a better business owner i think so um so you mentioned just in there over the last 15 months so how long have you been a a lawyer so i have been qualified for 12 years okay and then then, right and then you mentioned the last 15 months because Mm. i started up my own practice in june may sorry 2021 i didn't announce it until june 21 because i was too scared (laughs) but officially i launched it in the may okay so and so you're new in business and i think whilst you're experienced very experienced in what you do in the role that you perform you're relatively new in the business world as in Mm -hmm. running your own business so that gives you you can't underestimate the unique insight that that gives you in the advice that you're giving some of the people because yeah. you, you can re- directly relate to that. Once you've been doing this five years or 10 years, it's hard to remember what it's like being new, but mm-hmm. right now that's that's a unique perspective that you've got. Why did you move from employment into starting your own practice? Okay, this is a bit of a long story. So when I, so I left university with a languages degree, right? And didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really want to, do anything to do with languages I just liked them so um got a job as a legal secretary at one of the large law firms I'd worked in admin basically throughout the whole of my university life so it just kind of seemed like the right progression went to work at a law firm and went oh actually I quite like this and for me law had always been that thing that was just a bit out of reach I wasn't clever enough for it you know there was no way I would ever become a a solicitor so never even considered it as a career but it was only working in it that I was like, actually, I could do this. So, you know, I was really career focused. I became a paralegal. I studied part time and worked full time. It took me seven years to qualify. You know, I was I was going to be a partner of a law firm, a large law firm. And, you know, that was what I was going to do. And then two things happened. Number one, my mum got ill with a degenerative brain disease. And two, I had children. 
And that completely changed everything for me, my priorities, my values, you know, what I wanted to spend my time doing, right? And and it sort of made me realize that I had been squeezing myself into this particular corporate mold for a really long time that I didn't want to do anymore. You know, there's a, I, I always talk about this story, but when I was a trainee, I was basically told I was too much. My person, I was too, I was, my personality was too big and I needed to dumb myself down. And I did because I was a trainee and thought that's what I needed to do. But after a few years, it started to become very clear that you can't sustain that, right? You know, so then I basically went and worked for a high street firm part-time thinking, because I'd been at some really large corporate firms and it didn't, I couldn't equate, you know, having children and, you know, full-time career it just didn't work. You know, yeah. the expectation was that you were at your desk from eight o'clock in the morning until minimum six o'clock. You had chargeable hours targets that you had to meet, you know, it, was, it is full on and it just didn't work for me. I was like, I don't want to slog my guts out for someone else. Right. So went to work for a high street firm thinking part-time thinking, well, maybe that's the, that's the balance, right. You know, it's more flexible. It's less high pressure, but I still had that underlying sense of guilt that I wasn't giving 100% to my family and I wasn't giving 100% to my job. And it just, there was, I just had this urge to do something else. I just didn't know what it was. And um, so then I basically handed my notice in and I was like, I have no job to go to. I have no idea what I'm doing. My husband was supportive. I didn't just have my notice in without talking to him first. I said, I just can't, this isn't, something there's something about this that just doesn't feel like the right thing to do well when I was working my notice because it was three months I actually came across you know a self-employed model so a consultant solicitor model so you sit under another brand but you're basically self-employed so you get your own clients you do the whatever work you want to do you work what hours you want to work and you take a percentage of what you bill and I thought well that's great because it means I can pick and choose my hours pick and choose my clients and you know I've got the flexibility for the for the family and how much I work is directly reflected in how much I get paid. So that felt like a nice fit. And it worked, you know, I was self-employed for two and a half years, but it still wasn't quite right. I still was like, oh, I just, I want to create something of my own. I want to be able to choose the messaging, you know, because the brand I was sitting under was fine, but it didn't reflect fully what I wanted to put out into the world, you know, how I wanted to engage with clients, the, the, you know, the brand values, any, any of it, it still didn't kind of reflect who I was. So there was a bit of disconnect with what I was saying to clients versus what they were seeing perhaps online and through the branding and the name and stuff. So I, I met a chap who owns his own law firm and he basically was like, well, why aren't you doing it yourself? And I kind of went, I don't know, like, that's a lot. I'm a bit scared. <laughs> and it was a bit, it was a big decision, right? Because it's not just a case of finding clients and servicing them anymore. This is me putting myself out to the world saying, I want to do this differently to lots of other firms. And I think that's why it took me a month to actually announce it, because I knew that there weren't many other law firms that were kind of putting the human element into what they were putting out there so 
yeah, it, and I haven't looked back, Jamie. Honestly, it's been the best decision that I could ever make because if there's autonomy. I get autonomy over every single decision. And I'm not so arrogant to think that there aren't people that have other ideas that might be better than mine. But it's but it's it's just a direct reflection of who I am. It's colourful. It has personality. There are human beings behind it. We do great work for great clients, but we just do it with a little bit of sparkle, right? And uh, honestly, best decision I ever made. I love that. So you mentioned before you've made some, not necessarily bad decisions, but you would have made some different choices over the last 15 months. Mm-hmm. Give us an example uh, uh, to help some people avoid some of the things that you might have done. What What would you have done differently? So my biggest one was throwing money at pay-per-click ads. I was told not to do it, right? And instinctively, I kind of knew I shouldn't do it, but I wanted, I almost wanted to see whether they were wrong. So I, so I basically found an agency who had got some really great results for another law firm using pay-per-click ads. And I said to them, I only have a small budget for this. And if that isn't going to work because of how pay-per-click ads work and needing to spend a certain amount of money on it, then I don't want to do it. But they were like, no, 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 that's, you know, your budget's going to be fine. You know, we'll get you some leads. And in all fairness, I got a handful of leads, but they were absolute crap. And I spent time and money wasted on making that decision, sort of knowing that actually it was a bad one anyway, but just needing to test it myself. And do I regret the decision? No, because the money spent, right, it's gone. I can't get it back by stressing over it. So, and I think the other one is not trusting my instincts with something. So taking on a client, I had a, I had a meeting with a client, right? And straight away, I got the ick about him. There was something about him I didn't like. And I kind of put it down to, or maybe he was a bit distracted because it was a video call. And, you know, but there was just something really disengaged about him. And... But I was like, well, I'm not going to be doing the work. It's going to be my commercial lawyer that's doing the work. So, you know, as long as she's all right with him, it's fine. But there's just something about him. And it basically turned out he was a total pain. He was rude. He was obnoxious. He was arguing over the bill, despite the fact that we gave him a fixed fee and we gave him a really clear scope of what we're doing and we delivered. In fact, we over-delivered. You know, so I suppose... I regret not trusting my instincts really with him because he was a lot more hassle than he was worth, to be honest. And I should have trusted my instincts on that because I knew as soon as I met him, there was something that just didn't sit right. And and that's no that's no criticism of him. It's just he and I or the firm and I and him are just not the right fit for each other yeah. because of the way we work, the way we communicate, you know, the expectation of there being a mutual um respect in the relationship it cuts both ways right it's like yes you're paying us to do a job for you but you've got to respect us as much as we respect you and value what everybody brings to the table here and he just didn't and i i kind of knew it when i first met him and i didn't trust my instincts on it and we fortunately we have now basically can't we've terminated the retainer because yeah. it just wasn't working and it was just too stressful and not worth it so, yeah. I think everybody goes through that when you start mm-hmm. up. You you start up, and we need clients to pay the bills. And right. if yeah. they want what we're selling, then we sell it to them. Mm-hmm. 
only after we've entered into that relationship when we have that gut feel mm. the money's good but i've just got a feeling that this is going to be a pain in the backside kind of yeah. client do you know the other thing actually that i did in the first kind of nine months was basically saying yes to everything no matter how much it was paying it's like yeah i can do it yep i can get that done for 250 quid and then going oh, but now i've got to do all this admin around it and it's probably going to take me three hours to do it it's definitely not worth 250 quid but i said yes so now i've got to do it you know and kind of that whole idea of that lack mentality right and the the panic of well, where's the next piece of work going to come from if I say no to this you know I've got to say yes to everything because it's come across my door and I'm I'm brand new and I you know what if I get nothing else in you know but actually I think once you start setting boundaries around this stuff and say right I'm not going to take anything on that doesn't look like this I've, I have people I can refer it to that will do it for the price that the client wants to pay or the need that they have it can be serviced by someone else but I'm not going to do it you know I think that's one of the one of my biggest lessons is actually setting some boundaries around what i want to do what what kind of work i want to do for what kind of clients it's it's a big learning curve for sure um yeah. i think it's where there's a lot of um talk around ideal clients and client avatars mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and i think one of the important things to do is to write down what do you look for in a good client mm -hmm. and equally what do you not want so people talk mm -hmm. about what they want but it's worth writing down somewhere um, what you don't want. So if people, yeah. if people, I find that the ones that push you the hardest to negotiate you down on price, they usually do it for a reason. And that's a warning sign that they're going to become trouble once you start working yeah. with them, that they don't value what you do. They query everything that you say, <laughs> and then they're late paying you as well. Yeah. Well, this um, is what happened with this guy that I got the ick about. He basically pushed us down on fees. He refused to pay the bill initially and wanted extra on top of what we had said and but didn't so basically what happened was we delivered the work and then he said oh I've got some questions about the work and we said well actually can you tell us what those questions are because if it's a quick two minute thing then we'll just answer them but if actually it requires a significant amount more work from us then there's potential that we're going to have to change the scope of the work and the fee but he refused to send us the questions that he had so he was kind of basically holding us to ransom over the bill so it was like well answer my questions i'll pay your bill well give us the questions and we'll tell you whether or not we can answer them you know so we were in this like ridiculous you know cycle of of ego trip basically yeah. and i ended up picking up the phone to him and going like look we need to resolve this somehow if you could just tell us what the questions are we can then answer them or not you know we're not so unreasonable that if it's going to take joe a couple of minutes to answer them she's yeah. not going to suddenly send you a bill for that you know but you're not giving us the opportunity to resolve that for you and move forward eventually he did send us the questions and joe answered them without having to charge him any more because it did take her a couple of minutes but he it was just this unnecessary waste of time going backwards and forwards over this bill and I just think if someone pushes you down on price and you say yes, they will always feel like they've got you over a barrel and you'll always yeah. have that. There's just that underlying sense in the relationship that you're not valued and that it bleeds into everything, right? It then filters through and just tarnishes the whole relationship. Either someone values what you do for the price that you do or they don't and you're better off not working for someone who doesn't. And it's, it's a lesson that we all have to learn, I think, in business. Mm. Yeah. Um, there are times that we go through that. Okay. 
Did you, when you were younger, see yourself running a business? No. No, I think I think I always, as soon as I started in law, I definitely wanted to be a partner. I knew that I wanted to do that. When I was younger, younger, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think I never, I think I had quite a, I had quite a tough teenage onwards, my brother and I did, because my dad had a nervous breakdown. So everything was kind of very much in survival mode for a really long time. You know, my mum was surviving to keep everything together. And my dad was obviously trying to survive through the mental health issues that he was having. So I guess I never really had that guidance over choosing a career or learning what I was good at. It's only really in the last couple of years that I've actually figured out what I'm good at, you know, and, and we were, it was very much drummed into us, you know, you do your A-levels, you go to university. But I've said to my husband now, I wouldn't do that to my children. If they don't know what they want to do, as long as they go get a job, I don't care. They don't have to go to university. If it's something specific that they need to go to university for, then so be it. But it was just, you know, I said to, I said to my husband, I never occurred to me not to go because it was just what we were expected to do as children. You, you get your, your GCSEs, your A-levels, you go to university to do something. I was exactly the same. Yeah, I right? was brought up, brought up when you, it was like, you're going to do your A-levels when mm. you go to university. Not one day you might choose to go to university. It wasn't yeah. until I got there and my brother, younger brother didn't go. And I was like, well, I never had a choice about not going. It was like <laughs> they ticked a box first where the eldest gone off to university, right? We've done that right. now. Um, now, I've never really been one way or the other. I've, well, I've probably been more anti-university because I've never mm. used my degree. My right. son's just, so we're filming this today on A-level results day. And my oh. son's just got three distinction stars in his wow. um, college work. Um, and he's off to university in September. But up until eight months ago, university wasn't on the agenda. That's interesting. It's just last minute that he's made this decision yeah. for his career path that he's thinking about. So exciting day in our house today. Yeah, really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I don't. You know, some um, people who like you know they they sort of know right from the from really a young age what they want to do. Well, I just didn't. I, I knew that I, w I was entrepreneurial from a young age. Right. But I didn't know anyone around me who was entrepreneurial. Yeah. But I knew that I wanted more than every, everyone else. And it, I'd always made things and sold things. I, I'm a bit older than you. But in what? So the 80s, mm -hmm. I had uh, an IBM computer that oh could gosh. do desktop publishing. So I used to do graphic design for people and, wow. and do make leaflets and posters and things like that whilst I was still in the end of primary school and starting secondary school. Right. Wow. Yeah. See, I just never. No, never, never had that inkling. No, I just never knew what I wanted to do. I never. If I think about it, I don't think I ever had a had a sort of yeah you know some people are like i want to be an actress or i want to be a doctor yeah, or yeah. i just didn't have that I, I don't know it's weird so if you just said okay. to me during my a-levels you're going to end up being a lawyer i'd have been like don't be ridiculous like, that's not that's not open <laughs> to someone like me who, yeah. you know is middle to average in intelligence and you know doesn't really work that hard you know it's just not it's just wasn't a thing but actually it was much more accessible to me than i had 
realized you know because everyone thinks it's like this huge hugely prestigious thing right but actually if you work hard it's open to anyone yeah okay um so we know each other now through business networking through circle mm -hmm. networks mm -hmm. i don't come across many lawyers that network yeah it's weird right why so, not well <laughs> why do you how does it because why do I, why do I know? Well, obviously to, you know, meet people and get clients, but I actually think it's really helpful for me to be in, you know, networking events like Circle Networks and hear about the challenges that people are facing because it then in helps, helps me inform how I interact with clients. You know, it, people are, people are the lifeblood of any business, whether that's customer buying, you know, a, a widget from someone or someone needing a service from someone actually the only real important thing there is the people because if you have no customers and nobody to service the client what have you got nothing you know so it i think it it sets me apart because lawyers don't network but it yeah. but it also helps inform me about what's going on for business owners what challenges are they facing what what things are they talking about in networking events what you know, what's going on for people? Where are they hanging out? What are they talking about? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it seems bizarre. I know one lawyer actually who networks and he, but I think other lawyers, it's partners. This is a thing. The partners will be do the networking and they'll be going to in-person events, but it's always the same people and probably lots of other lawyers in the room, right? As opposed to, you know, networking with business owners. I, I couldn't think of anything worse than networking with a bunch of lawyers. <laughs> I think it would be really boring, <laughs> to be fair. You know, because why am I networking with people who do the same thing I do? I don't want to talk to lots of lawyers oh, right. about lawyer things. So the message is, if you are a normal person who happens to be a lawyer, come and try Circle Networks. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But if you're boring stuff you see, then don't bother. <laughs> I don't mean that. But... <laughs> Everyone's welcome. <laughs> okay would you say that you're an introvert or an extrovert can you be an introverted extrovert um i really like meeting people right i find online networking a lot easier than in-person networking i'll do in-person networking because it's important but i get really nervous networking in person and I think it's just that whole idea of having to interrupt someone's conversation that makes me feel really uncomfortable I really want to do something like you know deliver a speech on a main stage for something but that's because it terrifies me the idea of it you know I didn't become a barrister because I hate being watched right I couldn't think of anything worse than standing in court and being watched and scrutinized by loads of other people couldn't I couldn't be doing with it but I, I think I love people. So I don't know if that makes me introverted or extroverted. And I think maybe I'm like a weird mix of the two because people, I love interacting with people, but in certain circumstances that don't make me feel uncomfortable. One thing that stands out for me that of, of the last few weeks is you've said it a couple of times. I push myself to do the things that make mm -hmm. me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, so just yeah. explain explain that a little bit because i think a lot of people procrastinate and don't do things because there's a little bit of fear of it but you embrace that yeah i've got this slightly weird thing where if i say to myself i can't do that then i'm like well i'm going to do it because 
I can't, I can do anything I set my mind to. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean it in a like, nothing will defeat me. <laughs> right? If there's a tarantula and my two-year-old, this actually happened, my two-year-old held a tarantula and I was like, well, I've got to hold it now, haven't I? Because if she can do it, I can do it. And I held it and I had a massive fear of spiders before then. I still don't like spiders, but, you know, if one crawled across my desk, I'd be like, oh, there's a spider because I've held a tarantula. You know, if someone said to me, I bet you couldn't do a, a skydive. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to go do that now, aren't I? Because because you've challenged me almost. And it's almost like this weird, if I say to myself, I can't do it, well, now I want to do it to prove that I can. Yeah. So doing a speech on stage, I know I would, if someone came to me and went, can you deliver a speech to a thousand people on stage in, you know, next month? I'd be like, no, but yeah, I'm going to do it because yeah. I will regret not doing it. I don't want to sit there and watch someone else doing it and going, I wish I'd said yes to that. I love that. So as, as yeah. a kid, the first time I ever flew, I did a mm -hmm. parachute jump. That was the very first time I got Wait, the first time you ever went on a plane? Yes, the very first no. time. No. <laughs> I mean, that's taking it to the extreme, right? Yeah. Like, not only yeah. am I going to get on a plane for the first time, I'm going to fling myself out of it with a piece of silk attached to my back. <laughs> yes. Um, love that. So I did that. and I, So I was quite gung-ho and not necessarily an adrenaline junkie, but I would just do stuff. You set me a challenge, I'll I'll do it, beat it, whatever. Yeah. You go through a part of your life, I think, where you stop taking risks. And mm. it took me until I was 39 before I left the security of corporate life to start my own business. Mm. And now I've, I've started to embrace not risks, but challenges and pushing myself to do things again. And yeah. I like, I see that in you, that you do things like that. You'll push yourself. So I, I've been there. I, I didn't have a fear of it, but I hated public speaking. I hated all eyes on me. And I remember yeah. being at school where the teacher would say, who's got the answer to that? I wouldn't want to put my hand up because I hated everyone looking at me and I could feel myself mm -hmm. go red, start, hands start sweating. My hands are starting sweating now talking about it. Yeah, it's the idea of it, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, And then in my last job in corporate i ended up having to deliver speeches in front of five thousand people right. it took me yeah. a, a while so i conquered that fear as part of it because it just came with the role i didn't know it when i accepted it now weirdly weirdly speaking to five thousand people is actually easier than speaking to 500 because when you're up on a big stage you're removed from it and and you can only really see the bright lights you can't see right, the so in that case, if someone's going to ask me, it needs to be 5,000 people, not 500 people. Oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody asked me to make a wish. <laughs> okay, so if anyone's listening to this that runs big events and you're looking for someone who's uh, funny, entertaining, introverted, extroverted, commercial yeah. lawyer, you're the person. A little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but down to earth as well, yeah. Um, okay. How so? Going back to networking, then how is networking helping you? Oh, it's it's the difference between success and failure of my business. Quite frankly, it's it's. I went in hard on LinkedIn when I first launched, because I was like, I need clients. You know, I've got to make this work. And at this point, because obviously it was May twenty one, so things were still a bit iffy with events and you know in person stuff. 
so I went in hard on LinkedIn and I started making connections and chatting to people and, you know, spent unfortunately some time having meetings with people that I probably shouldn't have bothered having meetings with. I got a little bit of a shiny object syndrome and went, yeah, I'm just going to meet everybody. And, you know, but in terms of actual networking, it is 100% the difference between success and failure of my business without a shadow of a doubt. 99% of my work comes from recommendations or referrals. Like I, I get the occasional inquiry through my website from someone who's found me on Google. And I mean, occasional maximum one a month. If that everything else has been meeting people, them getting to know me, getting to know what I'm like, you know, me sending people their way, me use, you know, me, me being able to meet people that can then help me with stuff within my business. You know, I've met people at circle networks that I'm now working with as a direct result of obviously coming networking because I've, I've seen the value in what they do and what they can add to the business. And I've gone, right, I need you. I need you to help me do this thing that I'm not getting to myself. You know, so it's, if you, if you launch a business, particularly in a service industry, I think networking is potentially the difference between success and failure. The the work isn't just going to come through the door. You sitting at your desk, it's just not going to happen. It would be lovely if I could sit at my desk all day and it just kind of comes at me. It's not going to happen, is it? Let's be honest. You know, and it also, for me, meeting people, I actually get a lot from it. I get a lot from talking to people. So it sort of serves two purposes. You know, it's about getting brand awareness for the business and also just fulfilling that need in me to have that human interaction. So, yeah, well, you can't have a business without networking, I don't think. Okay. So come to circle network. (laughs) <laughs> well without a doubt come to circle networks um, <laughs> yeah. how would how would you compare online networking with face-to-face then i think online networking is easier and i actually prefer it if i had to choose if someone said to me you can only go online networking or face-to-face networking from this point onwards i choose online and the reason i would choose online there's a couple of things actually number one is you don't faff about with travel time I actually I like the setup of online networking because it's very clear that you are all there to have a conversation with each other and you will be in a room with people who perhaps you might normally be a bit nervous to go and introduce yourself to or you might not necessarily get the opportunity to speak to them or you know whereas this way you particularly the way circle is set up you will speak to lots of different people in that hour and a half so I just think it's more efficient you're not kind of trapped in a conversation with someone for half an hour that you're really trying to get out of that corner, but you can't because it's more structured. You know, you're it's almost like an elongated speed dating of some description, right? Because you're you're the structure and you're you're in a room for a set amount of time with conversations with those people, and then you're moving on, as opposed to, like I said just now, being stuck, you know, for 25 minutes, someone chewing your ear off about something you don't really want to talk about, and then you don't get a chance to then meet other people. And then the other thing is just it's just from my perspective, I I do get really nervous before in-person networking events because it's like, oh, how am I going to strike up a conversation? I'm going here on my own. So how do I interrupt that conversation with that person without it coming across as a bit rude? And, you know, I don't know. It's just more comfortable for me. And I would choose online for sure every time. I'm the same. I've found that I can get to know people just as well now through mm-hmm. online networking as I can face to face. 
but I like the convenience of it. Mm. You know, the fact the fact that I don't have to travel. Um, and it's the prep, isn't it? If you think we're sat at our desks today, we've clicked mm. on the link to join this and we're here. If I was going somewhere, it just takes a bit of time. You've got to, I don't know, whether it's, I need to make sure that the dogs are sorted and then um, I'll maybe tidy up a little bit. Then I'll have to go upstairs to get my jacket and my shoes. Then I get in the car and I've got to work out my journey. Where am I going to park? Have I got change? Mm-hmm. All of that yeah. stuff takes takes time to think about yeah. and distracts us from what we're doing, but it takes time as well. And And I find the convenience, I can do twice as much online networking and not feel the same energy consumption i guess from it yeah um, no, and, absolutely. And, I, and i think for a lot of us we're probably more relaxed in our own home to do this or yeah. our office however we choose to do it you're in the office i'm at home yeah. but we're probably more relaxed doing this with people from yeah. the comfort of our own environments um yeah so yeah I, i'm a huge fan of it i've loved chatting with you today i'm Conscious that yeah. we've kind of hit our time no, now. Over. We're not very good at um, keeping to time, are we? <laughs> we've both done that, haven't we? Um, so I would encourage anybody, to, if you've got any niggling questions with anything that you think that Catherine or a lawyer might be able to help you with, ask, get in touch with us. So what's the best way, what's your best way that someone can get in touch with you, Catherine? If people are on LinkedIn, that's pretty much where I spend most of my time from a kind of social media perspective. But they can also access the website. We've got an inquiry form on there. So that's www.hooperhide.com. Um, just fill in the form and it will send me an inquiry. But LinkedIn is probably the easiest one. And Hyde is spelled H-Y-D-E. Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, H-I-D. Thank you so, thank you so much. Um, I really welcome. enjoyed having you on. Thank you.